allow that life source to then continue to pulsate through and bring forth life and growth and fruit. What does that fruit look like? Verse 7, the first part. If you abide in me and my words abide in you. True believers submit to God's word because Jesus is their Lord. He is the source of life. There's a relationship. There's an attachment. There's a union. True believers obey Jesus' word. Is that fruit in your life? We are now on the 31st of January. We finish up the first of 12 months in 2016. In the last 31 days, what has your relationship to Jesus' words been? What does it look like? Has your relationship to God's word produced, and it is the fruit, but does it give evidence that there's an attachment, that there's life? Verse 7, ask whatever you wish. See, true believers who have Jesus' words abiding in them pray according to his will because they've been transformed. Their thinking has been renewed. And therefore, when they pray, they're not praying like James says, so they can so they can have answers according to their own lusts and their own desires and their own benefit. When Jesus' words abide in us, when they remain, when we're attached to them, what comes out of our mouth in prayer is aligned with the Son of God. And the fruit is answered prayer. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish. Believers will desire what Jesus desires. So ask away. Let me ask you, does God desire your child to be reconciled to him? Yes. So ask, does God desire for church growth to not just be disgruntled transfer growth, but new souls saved in this community? Yes. So ask, does God desire to be glorified, to be made big in your life? Yes. So ask. We have not because we ask not. The fruit among God's people, it's what glorifies God, is that if my words abide in you and you abide in me, ask whatever you wish. Why? Because our thinking, our desires have been aligned with the very thoughts and will of God. And when we pray in His name according to the mission revealed in His name, He answers us. So in 31 days, have you seen... God answer prayer. That's fruit. Ask whatever you wish, verse 7, and it will be done for you. The fruit, dependence on God and answered prayer, puts God's glory on display before a watching world. Look at verse 8. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. So what should John 15 look like at the most basic level of Highland's life together? 
What should this look like in 2016? This is where we need clarity. Where are we going? It's impossible to know if we are effective as a church, if we are bringing forth fruit, if we're not clear about our destination. John 15 has answered already many of these questions. For instance, change may not be movement. Right? Activity is not necessarily gaining ground. Uh, It's the old treadmill illustration. A lot of energy expended, a lot of motion, but when you're done after two minutes or an hour, you're still in the same place. So we can't confuse busyness with godliness or change with traction and movement. Here's why we exist. This is the address we plug into our, if you would, our, our ecclesiastical GPS unit. Why do we exist? To display God's glory, John chapter 15. By making disciples, John chapter 15. Through the gospel of grace. Grace compels us to do this. For clarity, we need to ask several questions. What are we doing? What are we doing as a church to accomplish this? Every event or program or ministry must constantly be evaluated for effectiveness. Is it getting us to this destination? Why are we doing it? Does it help us fulfill this purpose? When are we doing it? Is that time frame the most effective to accomplish our mission and get us here? Who is doing it? Is it the right gifts, the right skill set, the right, the right character? Are the same people doing everything when 1 Corinthians 12 to 14 leaves very little room except for every member ministry? Are we all working together for the edification of the body to accomplish and get here? And after we ask all these questions, we must ask this question. When all is said and done, what is it we want to look back on and celebrate together? So we need to define growth. What does growth look like here? What do we expect growth to look like at Highlands Baptist Church in 2016? What fruit will we celebrate together? God's glory? Disciple-making disciples? The gospel of grace? That's what we celebrate in. Another way to ask this is where do we want our people to be and what do we want them to become? And does our structure take us there? This will demand then focus. What is essential in our mission? Love God, love others, make disciples. Well, where are we going? We're displaying God's glory by making disciples through the gospel of grace. Well, how do we know if The growth is exactly what the scriptures teach. Well, then there are these essentials. Our essentials, our core values, some of you are familiar with that term, will determine what we're looking for by way of growth. And we must have constant clarity about where we're going. We must constantly define growth scripturally. And we must focus on those things that will help achieve this. So again, our purpose is this, to display God's glory by making disciples through the gospel of grace. Here's how we do this. Scripture, 
worship, ministry, community, and mission. Let's take the first of these. Doesn't like reverse. You guys hijack me back there. Okay, I'll let you guys play with that. We should be on the scripture slide. Here's a subcaption, and we have a new web page that is easier to navigate. It is designed. Most of our first time guests come in because they searched us online. And so one of our most important touches is what people see and what is communicated when they, they look up Highlands Baptist Church. And you'll see each of these essentials. It's right there on the front page. And as a team, these statements have been crafted to come down. I mean, if we're just going to focus on a few things, because you can't do everything. You can't be so scattered. You're ineffective. But if we're going to bring it down to maybe three or four or five things, what are those things? Scripture. Knowing Jesus by learning God's word and applying his truth through the power of his spirit. Right? John fifteen seven. If you abide in me and my words abide in you. That's scripture. Second Timothy three sixteen to 17 says all scripture is breathed out by God. Oh, there I go again. And is profitable. Paul instructs Timothy. Now, Timothy is a young elder young pastor. He's actually a missionary pastor on loan, if you would, on short-term loan, but he's pastoring. He's doing the work of an evangelist. And this is what Paul tells Timothy. Until I come, Timothy, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on your teaching. Jesus prayed this in John 17, 17. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. That's what he's doing. That's what he's doing with us this morning. When we exhort you and say, how might God be pruning you? How might God be chastening you? In 31 days, what is the fruit of Jesus' words abiding in you? We are pressing Scripture claims upon your life. We're not here to just learn new things. Now, we may learn new things because God's Word is alive. But we're here to press it home into our lives. We should walk out of those doors changed as the Spirit of God takes the Word of God and conforms us to be like the Son of God. So we don't come in complaining people and go out complaining people. I don't come in... I, men, don't come in as abusive husbands and then go out as abusive husbands. That's why Scripture is one of our essentials. This is how we let Jesus' words abide in us. The means by which Jesus asked the Father to sanctify us is by the truth. Now, He could have left it there, but He doesn't. He could have been general, but He didn't. He got specific. Your Word is truth. This is one of our essentials to get us to where we're going. Let me ask you, have the scriptures adjusted your affections 
Godward. Or are you just overcome by the frustrations of everything horizontal? Have the Scriptures adjusted your affections Godward? Have the Scriptures taken you from your desk or your sitting chair to your knees? Have your devotions fueled Spirit-led obedience to Christ? Has your Bible reading produced love for others that differ from you? Have the Scriptures led you to restored relationships where they've been broken for years? Has your study of God's Word produced humility? Has the Bible broken your heart for lost people? Here's how we plan at the beginning of the year to help in this. There will be new series in our adult Bible studies. There is the careful selection of curriculum in our Sunday school, middle school, high school, and adult Bible classes. 2016, we'll see no change in a sustained expositional preaching platform on Sunday morning. Our worship gatherings are saturated with Scripture. That means our songs. That means Scripture reading, as Paul exhorted Timothy. That means our prayers and the preaching. We will be teaching a combined adult Bible study on a biblical theology of sexuality. That's Scripture. And Scripture pressing into a culture that wants to reject God. At the beginning of March, Pastor Dan Davey will be teaching a men's breakfast on grace applied from a theology of Romans. On April 10th, a friend of ours at Littleton Bible Chapel, he was an elder there for many years, Alexander Strock, will be preaching to us about every member ministry. So it's not only what's happening here, it's who we're inviting. These men are aligned, and this is one of the, the essentials. Here's another essential, worship. Adoring Jesus through God-exalting, word-saturated, spirit-led worship. I love how Matt Boswell puts it. Worship is the rhythm of revelation and response. We do that when we gather together Sunday morning. Tomorrow morning, let Jesus' words abide in you. And in the stillness of the morning or at some point tomorrow, open God's word and respond to his revelation. Worship is a rhythm of revelation. God shows, He discloses Himself to us. That's why He says, I no longer call you servants, but friends. For the servant does not know what his master is doing, but we open God's Word and He discloses His plan to us. And we worship, we adore Him in Spirit-led worship because we are His friends and we know His will. And it is a rhythm of revelation and our response, which is Godward. Don't confuse worship with music style or just raw liturgy or service order. Those things may be important, but that's not worship in its essence. Worship is not just an event. It is an entire life devoted to God as we respond to His Word.
And that looks like praying. And that looks like singing. And that looks like Scripture reading. And for some of you, it looks like standing there very still and reverent, head bowed. And for some of you, it is praising God with hands lifted, with tears running down your face. That's a response to God's Word. What does that look like here? D.A. Carson answers that question this way. This suggests that the fruit in the vine imagery represents everything that is the product of effective prayer in Jesus' name, including obedience to Jesus' commands, experience of Jesus' joy, love for one another, and witness to the world. This fruit is nothing less than the outcome of persevering dependence on the vine, driven by faith, embracing all of the believer's life and the product of his witness. Worship. Adoring Jesus through God-exalting, word-saturated, spirit-led worship. Ministry. It's our third essential. In John 15, he discloses to us his will. He talks about dependent prayer. He talks about answered prayer. He talks about love for one another several times. But he also says this in John 15:20: No servant... That's the idea of ministry. Ministry is service. No servant is greater than his master. That means we love even when we face hostility and opposition. Grace compels us to love as Christ loves because the servant, that's us, is not greater than his master. The mindset of a servant, not... not Convenient, comfortable acts of service. I hope you make the distinction. Oh, I can only, I, I can only preach the second and third Sundays of every month. Are you okay with that? Because I've got things going on. I'd really like to learn how to ski this year. No, you expect me to serve in this capacity. You say, well, that's what you're paid for. There are times preachers preach every day for two weeks in a row, and it is exhausting. There were times in northern Sudan you teach eight hours a day for 12 days with very little food in the middle of a civil war. And I would have been supported the same amount from home churches if I had never gone to Sudan. So we are compelled by the Spirit of God, by the grace of Jesus Christ, to preach the Word in season and out of season. And the same is true of our serving one another and edifying this body. It's not always convenient. It's not always comfortable. It's not always noticed. You won't always get a thank you. But this makes the ministries of hospitality, guest care, and nursery vital. These are areas where we can serve one another. Serve those coming in, braving the doors for the first time coming in. And what they should find is a community where it's okay to be battered and bruised. It's okay here because it's a safe environment. It's okay to come here and doubt the goodness of God because evil has touched your life. It's okay to cry because of a wayward child. Because it's safe here. 
It's okay to be broken and hopeless because our desire as we serve, as our master served, is to create an environment, a culture, where when people step in, they sense the love of Jesus Christ immediately. And that's not going to happen just with a pretty building and with good teaching. It'll happen when every member serves with the gift with which the Holy Spirit has given him or her. So how are you serving? This is part of growth. These were the slides I was looking for. I've underlined the terms for growth. And he, Christ, gave gifts. Those gifts are verbally gifted men, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. You are to be equipped. You are more equipped than almost any group of believers throughout the world. You have more knowledge of the Scripture. You do not necessarily just need more information. But you are to be equipped for the work of the ministry. The work of the ministry lands equally on all of us. Not just hired professionals. Not just service providers. That work, and this is where it gets a little uncomfortable, right? Because as we, as we move towards this and grow, oh, they actually, they actually expect us to serve. Yes. Because Jesus does. And to be a faithful preacher of his word, then we as your pastors expect you to serve. Yes. Serving one another, loving one another, loving the world, loving your enemies. For building up, that's growth, the body of Christ, until we all attain, that's growth, to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. To maturity, to mature manhood, that's growth. To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Those are all terms of growth. Brothers and sisters, we have to define growth spiritually. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. We celebrate that. When people are no longer swayed by a different emphasis, they're no longer swayed by something that is tossing them to and fro, every little wind of doctrine, when people become theologically stable, that's worth celebrating. That's growth. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ. From whom the whole body. So now, now we're not a vineyard in Paul's terms in Ephesians. We are a body. We are all one body and we have one head. <laughs> Anything with more than one head is a monster. I am not the head. We say this often because I want, I want us to get this. Pastor Matt is not the head. Mike Schindel is chairman of the deacons. Is not the head. One head. And it's into Him, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly. 
Saints are equipped for the work of the ministry. Are we working properly? That makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So what is, what is a great plan for growth in 2016? Every member serving somewhere. Every member ministry. That's what we desire to cultivate. A culture of serving and discipling among our own members. Let me give one quick example of this. Uh, we, we have the privilege of renting out our facilities during the week. We do so to accelerate um, the payment of our principal on our building loan. They have, uh, Ambleside School has a chapel here every Wednesday. They almost fill up this building right here for chapel. Recently, uh, one of the gentlemen noticed how nice our, our coffee and tea station was and realized how effective it could be. This is one of the Ambleside parents that Pastor Matt was able to talk to. Um, here, here is a ministry opportunity to come in early, chapels at 8 o'clock, make two things of coffee and sit out there and let them know there's coffee ready for them and to be able to interact. Some of these people are unbelievers. Some are unchurched. And what a wonderful way to serve. To, there's, there's, there's a need. The need is not dirty feet, as we saw in John 13. The need is life connection from this gathered body in service to a large group of people that we don't even have to go out to the highways and byways and find. They come in here. Perhaps the Lord would impress your heart to serve in that way. Romans 15.4. This is what Paul said about the Roman believers. I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness. Oh, we say this about you. You're full of goodness. That's character. Filled with all knowledge. That's capacity. And able to instruct one another. That's competence. Character, capacity, and competence. The last two we'll move through quickly. Showing Christ. Okay, just pretend we're back on that community wedge. John 15, 12, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Jesus lived in community with his disciples. Initially, in John chapter 1, what it meant to abide, what it meant to remain in the vine, was to actually come and stay with him where he was lodging. It meant community. Later on, John 6, it takes a pretty sharp turn. Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part in me. That community matures, becomes a lot more theologically precise. This is what we see in Acts chapter 2, verses 46 to 47. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. They spent life together. This doesn't mean you lose your individuality. But it does mean we start in smaller groups to share life with one another, to keep one another accountable to pray together. Here's how we're doing that this year. Uh, coming up soon, there's a ladies' Bible study on two separate days. One day is already full. They're going to study the hospitality commands, share life together, which includes sharing recipes and food, too. That's just life. And every mentor has an apple, I guess, right, as the mentee. 
Okay, we're confusing metaphors all over the place here, but I hope you were tracking. Um, there are two groups. Organically, this has happened. There are two groups of men already gathering. One group is reading a book together, praying together, keeping one another accountable. Another group sprung up and it meets over at a coffee shop and they're just walking through the Gospel of Matthew. They take a couple verses. Um, this is how it's starting to grow. You've got people sharing life together. You've got them inviting other people to it. We will have a home fellowship Sunday, February 28th. Next month, starting not starting tomorrow, but tomorrow is the next month, a small group training begins in preparation for small groups beginning this summer. These then become outposts for mission in our community. And the last one, mission. Oh, by the way, the community showing Jesus to one another through caring relationships, mutual accountability, and acts of service. And then finally, mission. Proclaiming Jesus in word and action from our neighborhood to the nations. As branches, we have the privilege of sharing life with Jesus Christ and bearing fruit. He invites us to join him on mission. As the Father has sent me, so send I you. John 15, verse 27. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. A few things that we're doing to encourage that, and I won't espouse an entire philosophy of missions and where we're at. Um, we will save that for another time. But here are a few calendar items. On April 29th, Friday, from 4.30 p.m. to 10.30 p.m., uh, we will be hosting here, Secret Church, a global gospel in a world of religions. If you're interested in more information, talk to Pastor Matt. Uh, a small team has been invited to go to the Horn of Africa. A small team of men up into a Muslim-dominated area in the Horn of East Africa. I just received this note last week. Just wanted you to know God continues to move and surprise us with His powerful working. When I am there, we set goals and lay plans, but the brothers seem to always dramatically exceed what would ha we hoped would happen. Our national-led pastoral training network now included 17 mentor trainers and more than 3,500 now have either received or are in the process of receiving training. The national-led church planning movement has trained and deployed 1,500 church planners. A separate Muslim church planning group, I think maybe you met those guys, has now planted 40 house churches. We have now integrated them into our pastoral training program. We were able to witness 30 Muslim background believers being baptized. The Bible, replacement, the, the Bible placement program has now surpassed 400,000, praying for half a million by the end of the year. God has been so good. He is working. Praise His name. That's just going from our neighborhood to the remotest parts of the earth. Uh, we'll, be, we'll hear from missionaries from China, Congo, Cambodia this year, and there's also the possibility of a mission trip to New York City to actually implement what you learned in the class of the story and to be able to do that in the city of New York. And Pastor Matt will give a few more details of that at our business meeting. So why do we exist? To display God's glory by making disciples through the gospel of grace. Love God. Love others. Make disciples. That's the fruit that glorifies God in this vineyard this year. Let's pray.
Lord, help us to be a church on mission. You have told us to go and make disciples. You've told us from all different geographical areas to make disciples of all nations. Lord, we know that we cannot outsource mission. We must be people on mission here. Forgive us where we have failed to glorify You in that mission. Help us to know that our part in global mission is not limited to simply sending money. That You want us, disciple-making disciples, here in our neighborhoods and then to the remotest parts of the earth. God, help us. We are dependent on You. The branches are dependent on the vine. When You apply Your cutting knife and prune us, may we not doubt Your goodness or react, but help us to humbly submit, knowing that Your chastening for the present time is painful. But what You desire is the peaceful fruit of righteousness. You said You would build Your church. We praise You as the head of the church. And may everything we do this year make Your name big. May it glorify You. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. I'll ask Ethan.